Welcome to The Awardist, the podcast from Entertainment Weekly that takes you inside this year's Emmy race with interviews, analysis, and more. I am Sarah Rodman, Executive Editor at Entertainment Weekly. And I'm Kristen Baldwin, TV critic at Entertainment Weekly. And we are here again with you at The Awardist to talk TV, our favorite topic. We just can't stop. And this week we're talking about something we're excited about, which is how sort of female-centric some of these nominations have been, that particularly in the limited series category, but also some people that have double nominations. Uh, We had spoken previously about this, and I just want to dig into this a little bit, Kristen. This limited series category really is every single show in it is a show led by a woman or women in some cases. And what's interesting is it also has behind the scenes nominations for women, you know, in writing and directing, you know, Mrs. America, Watchmen, Little Fires, Unorthodox, Self-Made. They're all lady centric and I'm here for it. What's interesting about some of them, too, is is that some of them are female centric and they're real women, too. Not only are we sort of celebrating women and women's points of view after a long period of time of that not being true, but the women of Mrs. America being uh, real women the woman from self-made, Madam C.J. Walker, being a real woman, we're celebrating sort of the successes and failures and flaws and every aspect of womanhood, real womanhood in these shows, too, which is kind of exciting. Well, yeah, and uh, unbelievable, you know, based on a true story of two female detectives who like went back over this discounted claim of sexual assault and found a whole sort of pattern of these claims not being listen to and like they kept fighting for it. Also, when you look at the drama category as well, we've got The Crown, we've got The Handmaid's mm-hmm. Tale, Killing Eve. We've also got other stories that have a woman or groups of women or duos at the center as well, which is really exciting to see that this expands out of the world. And again, a mix of real people, period stuff, contemporary stuff. Like It's just so lovely to see a spectrum of stories about women being told by women, getting celebrated. Yes, and being directed by women and written by women. No, it's really great. I do wonder, this is maybe a a dark thought, Sarah, but I do wonder if some of these limited series, like, are networks and streamers more likely to green light a story that's about, say, Phyllis Schlafly or, like, Unbelievable about, you know, two female detectives? Are they more likely to develop it and say yes to it if it's a limited series because they don't want to give the commitment to like, let's do a whole series about feminism? Right, exactly. That, And also, I think what's good about these shows in that regard, there may be a fear inherent in that, that it's too big a topic, right? right. I mean, certainly with feminism, that like this literally could go on for years and is not a thing that is in <laughs> any way resolved in the current world that we're living in. Nope. I also think there's just an appeal in telling a finite story, regardless of whose point of view that we're seeing. Yeah, it's just true. nice that we seem to be over the hump of celebrating the male antihero who does terrible things and has a female compatriot who is sort of villainized for wanting to be good or have them Mm -hmm. not be an anti-hero and have them be a regular old hero. (laughs) Like the Skylar syndrome? Are we talking about that? Exactly Mm -hmm. that. And I I think Kim Wexler a little bit on Better Call Saul, too. Not that she was villainized in the same way, but obviously the same universe. But that there is a pull towards the light that is by people that are fans of the main character that might be like, oh, but you're messing things up. Right, exactly. Just like go with the flow kind of thing. 
Yeah. And I do think, you know, a lot of the reason that we see such great female characters in these limited series categories, a lot of the limited series uh, are coming from Ryan Murphy and he loves a diva of a certain age and Hollywood is jam packed with them, including, you know, Holland Taylor, who's fantastic, Patti LuPone. And then, you know, even his upcoming series, Ratchet, is Sarah Paulson, Judy Davis, Sharon Stone, Stone. and previously with the Jessica Langs of the world, you know, like he knows that these actresses are stars and and he loves a limited series. So keep right. it coming, Ryan. Exactly. We co-sign that. And the other thing that was interesting when you look across the entire nominee category, there were also a lot of women who got nominated for two or more. Maya mm-hmm. Rudolph got three nominations, two of them emanating from Saturday Night Live, one for her impression of Kamala Harris, which I did <laughs> Enjoy very much. <laughs> so good. And also for her guest role on The Good Place, Angela Bassett has two nominations for a Black Lady Sketch Show and her voice work on the Imagineering story, <laughs> uh, which is the Disney Plus right documentary. A Black Lady Sketch Show, she plays the group leader of a bad bitches support club, and she's amazing. And we're so excited for that show. I mean, yes. talk about celebrating women, like the full spectrum If you have not watched a Black Lady Sketch Show, turn this podcast off right now. Go watch a Black Lady Sketch Show and then come back and join us for our conversation with Holland Taylor. You won't be disappointed. I am telling you. So funny. You do not need to be a Black Lady or sketchy to enjoy it. (laughs) I am very white and I enjoyed it very much. Just that whole cast is really fun. So, so excellent. Robin Thede finally getting her well-deserved moment in the spotlight. And then to round out that trio, Wanda Sykes, who's competing in the guest actress category for The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, and in the character voiceover category for Gladys on Crank Yankers. Who remembers Crank Yankers? (laughs) That's amazing. I love it. Honestly, I'm not sure until I read this that I remember that Crank Yankers was back. And I believe that she was on it like back in the old days. She too. probably was. So I love that like she is being nominated here. But this gives us a nice segue into the fact that it was a record year of nominations for black people, which is exciting. Woohoo, we enjoy that. We do enjoy that. Sterling K. Brown is also a person who has multiple nominations and sort of in a landscape where in the last few years, obviously we've been talking about Oscar so white and Grammy mm-hmm. so white that maybe for the first time ever, it is not Emmy so white. Yeah. And I mean, one of the reasons they expanded the categories in terms of the number of people they were going to have in certain categories, partly it was because, and this was explicitly stated by the Academy, that they wanted, they were aiming for a more diverse group of nominees. They just figured let's have some categories have, you know, seven or eight nominees as opposed to five or whatever. And that was their way of trying to get more non-white actors and and other people who make TV. And it obviously worked. And so the one place that there has been great justified criticism uh, is in the Latinx community where there was a glaring omission Mm -hmm. of several people that you would have expected to see Rita Moreno from One Day at a Time. Um, MJ Rodriguez from Pose, that was one that a lot of people were understandably upset about. So clearly there is still progress that needs to be made on that front. Right. Uh, did you see Marvelous Mrs. Maisel with uh, Wanda Sykes? I did not. I I don't remember how many episodes I'm behind, but I'm behind. 
It's interesting because she she is in one episode and just a short couple scenes. She plays Mom's Mabley. Oh, right, right. That's so great casting. Yeah, it's really good casting. And Midge is going to perform, I believe, at the Apollo. And, you know, the audience is not expecting to see this prim white Jewish girl come to, you know, open for Moms Mabley. And uh, she has a little conversation with Moms backstage. It's really an interesting perspective. And and yeah, Wanda, I think, you know, it's, she doesn't have very much time on screen, but it, she definitely, you know, is great. Right. Makes the most of it. And so much of those guest categories, when you actually go back and look at the moments. It's a little bit like when Judy Dench was nominated for an Oscar and I believe won it for being on screen for like 10 minutes or something. Yes. That like these people can come in and sort of surgically make an impact. Yes. Like in a way that you were like, oh, I see why they actually got this nomination, which is really great. So we salute all of those folks. And speaking of remarkable women, the person that we are talking to today on the awardist is Holland Taylor, who is someone that I know both Kristen and I have been longtime fans of. Kristen, do you remember the first time you sort of became aware of her? Bosom freaking buddies. I love that show so much. (laughs) She was great. She was so great. And it's so funny because that show at the time and sort of looking back at it now seemed very risque, (laughs) but silly at the same time. And there has been some discussion sort of seriously of it. Like this is not sort of the best representation that we could have hoped for because <laughs> clearly these, these characters were not trans characters. They were dressing right. as women to like live in this women's hotel, which for some reason didn't seem predatory back then, even though it totally was like, they well, were always like macking exactly. on these women. It, exactly. And, and it was a classic sitcom premise in that, like, you know, just like three's company, you know, he's constantly leching after Chrissy and Janet, but he's also like a good guy. He's pretending to be gay though. Again, which is also, so not great. Like what's happening <laughs> back then that like this it is was okay. The 80s, okay. It was the eighties. <laughs> but this was I also the first time that I became aware of her and in talking to her. So Holland is nominated for her wonderful performance in Hollywood on Netflix. And we talk a little bit about how great it is in her very long career that she got to play this very fleshed out three-dimensional character of a certain age, her reunion with Dylan McDermott, her practice co-star and their wonderful relationship. And we also had a really nice conversation about an Emmy award night where she just gave a speech that was so memorable that I remember it to this day, that it was the first time that she was winning. She was winning for the practice and she got up on stage and literally just said the word overnight. And of course, <laughs> at that point, she had been working for like, you know, 20 something years. <laughs> and then she looks at her notes and she's like, I'm so glad I wrote something down. I'm so sorry. I can't see it. <laughs> <laughs> and for years, I thought this was a bit that she did. So I got to, a chance to ask her about that in a very wide ranging conversation with someone that. Even if you do not know her name, you have seen her in many, many things. 100%. So hopefully, if you enjoy Holland Taylor and you enjoy Hollywood, you will enjoy this conversation. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited 
to speak with you well, today. How lovely. Thank you so much. I have been watching you since Bosom Buddies, when I, which I used to talk to my friends from high school on like a conference call back in 1982. That's so great. I've been following you ever since then. So I'm so very happy to speak to you. Bosom Buddies never had success in its own time. And it wasn't even picked up for the second half of its second year. It's sort of unbelievable to me when, because it was so ahead of its time in a way, and it was so fun. And it played on Comedy Central or various channels forever. Yeah, still, I absolutely. mean, uh, but of course, it, it, it's such stripped down version. I don't know if you you know this, but when when a show like that is syndicated, they they cut it to shreds to have hundreds of commercials. So. A lot of stuff gets lost, and it's also a very choppy experience. And what they always lost was the tag. We always did a tag at the end of every show, which was often something really fun. Absolutely. They're always gone in syndication. They could run that thing in prime time, I'll tell you. I 100% agree. But we are here to talk about Hollywood, and I am so excited about this role for you. When I saw you come up, I was like, oh, it's always wonderful to see Holland Taylor. But then you have a real part of a three-dimensional woman who yeah. has a career and a sex life yes. and longing and wanting and success. And I mean, this is you and Patty and Rob, all of the sort of older actors in the cast who might normally in a different production just sort of had one-dimensional, one or two characteristics to play, have full-blooded characters. And I'm guessing that this was part of the appeal yes. It was, well, I mean, uh, the main appeal was just being offered to do anything in Ryan Murphy's world. I mean, he's such a, he's such a strong creative force and he's done so much uh, interesting work and so much interesting uh, worlds that he has wanted to talk about. And he's very interested in women. He's very interested in women's lives and actors' lives, but he's very interested in a woman's story just uh, just what it is to be a human being, what her life, what her inner life is, regardless of whether she's in relationship or not. And that's a, a sort of a rarity in a sense, because there's many a novel and there's many a movie about a man's struggle with himself, becoming who he is. But there are very few about women, because women women's stories are in relationship to the father, the husband, mm -hmm. the brother, the son. I mean, it's always in relationship to what they were for a man. And I, I, I mean, those stories are all great, but it's, it's very interesting when you think that there really wasn't a big market for just st stories about what a woman's life is, mm -hmm. what her inner life, what, her, what it is to be her. And incidentally, she may or may not have a relationship, but that's not right. the central focus of the story. So uh, I knew that, that this was going to be a wonderful independent character and he said she had a lot of moxie, and that was very intriguing. A great old-timey word. A lot of moxie. It's an old-timey word. And I love that era. That era was an era of uh, enormous mm. promise and goodwill. And don't forget, that war that had just happened was what some people might call a righteous mm. war, a war that had to be fought. It wasn't a war over territory or warring nations for the usual reasons. It was really to defeat, you know, Nazi Germany was, you could really safely yes. call that evil. That was an evil force. And so that 
war was won and those soldiers came back and there was the GI Bill and there was a whole new middle class created and America was entering a period of enormous prosperity and it was a very young country, but there was such a Amen. sense of accomplishment and fineness and progress. And so, and so that was a wonderful era. And that's what, I, that's what we were all excited to do that. And it was actually Ryan who very early on, which is typical of him, really, trying to see mm. what other envelopes he could push and trying to talk about the people who would who would fight for progress and inclusion. And there were people like that in that yes. time, I'm sure. And he did a story that made them successful in their in their dreams. So we finished shooting in, in January, I guess, right before the real serious mm. news of the pandemic began. But it was went into post-production very quickly. And so when it came out, I don't even remember what was the first air date, but it was really just a few months later. And by then, it came out into a terrified society in the grip of a pandemic. So all that warmth and those golden lives and those years that were so full of promise, and then you had the added magic of the, of the revisionist history element of the story made it so welcome. I've never been in a show that was received like that. So enticing to want to go back to a place where you would think in this moment would mm-hmm. be a place we wouldn't want to go back to, given the oppressive sort yes. of systems that were in place. And yet to do this fantastical version where people are able to thrive and collaborate and succeed and win awards. I mean, it is the kind of wish fulfillment that I want to see more of it, to see the alternate timeline that results from this success of women and LGBT and people of color. Like, it it was a nice, warm hug. <laughs> well, it may be particular to me, but there's no question that for me, one of the attractions of having an imaginary journey into that time was that that, well, people say it was a simpler time. Mm. Well, it really was a simpler time. And when you think about it, our modern age where anybody can find you at any moment with your cellular, with emails, you're inundated with emails and texts, no matter where you are. If you went to the moon, you would be getting something from somebody. So in those days, if you were not in the office or not at home, you were just a person. No one knew who you you were or what you were doing. You roam the streets. I'm a big city walker. I used to walk New York City streets or Paris streets for hours. It was my great pleasure to do and no one could know where you were or find you you couldn't find anybody so there there was a a sense of life had a particular texture to it that it no longer has but back in those days you know dick and ellen are out of the studio no one can find them they're living their life Uh, no secret weekends uh out on the beach going up to cambria i mean wonderful things that people in hollywood used to do there was a separation from the intensity of their work world and then just the pleasures of living. And there really isn't that very much anymore. But I mean, even think of the dashboard of a car in the 40s. There's like four buttons, you know, there's a starter. Exactly. And no seatbelts. And and no seatbelts. There's a windshield wiper button. There's a radio button. And, you know, that's pretty much it. And it's just, there was not the complexity of the modern technology that we live crushed by and surrounded by and ensnared by and burdened by. So there was a wonderful feeling of freedom. You know, you would say something and then you would do it. It was just a a more direct line between 
thoughts and deeds and results. And what a treat to come back together with Dylan after having played previously on the practice together in obviously in a different situation. But oh my goodness, how enjoyable was that? Oh, it was amazing. It was really a laugh. And talk about coming full circle. I mean, it was, you know, I think one of the joys of being an actor for a long time is that you do work with people over and over again. And it's just ironical that we came back in that particular relationship. The scene with Joe Montella was a truly memorable scene and also the scene with Ernie at the end. These are really remarkable scenes to play. And you just jump in. The ingredients are all there and you just want to hit all the twists and turns that the characters go through and hope that it's clear and that it reads. And I think the things were beautifully produced and beautifully directed. So Absolutely. And I have also enjoyed him for a very long time, but I honestly think this is easily one of the best roles he's ever played. He's he's note perfect in this show. And I love that you are all to come together. And speaking of great sort of scene partners, Mr. Mantello, my goodness. When you think that the guy is like the premier Broadway director right now, but he, of course, was an actor. That's how I first knew Joe long ago, was as an actor, even though he started directing fairly quickly. Uh, But he is a wonderful actor. And I I wonder, I never asked him this, but I remember what a great actor Sidney Pollock was. And I think when directors are really fully realized as directors than they used to act, acting is like a busman's holiday for them. And I wonder if it becomes easier in a way because they perhaps don't have as much weight on it as they might have had if, like, I'm an actor and acting is what I do and here's this important scene and, gee, i got to get it right. But he he took our work very seriously because I think those characters were really mattered and uh, they were deeply felt and deeply we wanted to realize them as deeply as we could because, as you say, they're not, we don't usually see the somewhat older generation, in my case, much more than Joe. But to, to see fully realized characters and have them not mm-hmm. be in their 20s and 30s is, I have a feeling, a welcome relief for everyone. I think young people enjoy seeing it too. I mean, we don't respect our elders in this country, and, and that will be to our rue. Certainly right now, which is a different conversation, but I feel like for people who had no experience of him as an actor, and it had been some time that he had been in something like this as an actor, that like if you started to do the dive yeah. into all of the remarkable work that he has done, I just was so impressed with how felt and how earnest your relationship was and how that was one of the things that outside of the wish fulfillment was probably actually common that people would be close like that. Yes. Things were not as open as they are now. And she might not have realized that he was gay. Yeah. Well, she, there was this, there was mm-hmm. a wondering about it, but as she said, she didn't care a fig, but uh, how about his scene with rock Hudson? So good. I mean, of course I wasn't there for that filming. I didn't know about this. And when I saw it on screen, I was just, I was just electrified yes. by his work in that. I mean, every single second was so deeply connected and and so clear. And, you know, he plays sort of a reticent man, and yet he was very, you could read him absolutely. Yes, definitely. And and there was so much that was in this that was devastating, even as it was wish fulfillment at the same time. But I love that the Jeremy Pope of the, I just was, had not seen him on Broadway, sadly, and I know that he has been nominated for two Tony Awards previously, 
but is so remarkable in this. And I'm curious, since we had yourself, Patty Lupone, Joe, Jeremy, you had a strong Broadway contingent uh, in this in this yes. show. If there was any sort of theatrical sensibility that you all have that is in common that you bring to this? I think I just be stage professionals. I mean, I think we generally tend to be more prepared than the younger actors who I think tend mm. to shoot from the hip and they don't have the kinds of disciplines and the kind of habits of uh, learning a script very thoroughly and having thought about it very deeply. It's not not mm-hmm. to their fault. You, you, you know, it's not like they're disobeying something they were told once. There's not much training out there that's, that's worth a whole lot. Uh, and so sometimes people come to acting just with only their instincts to to protect them. And uh, I, I do think that the older actors made a very distinguished showing in Hollywood, but but we're, theater actors tend to be very much more prepared. We know that we're not going to get a lot of rehearsal in, in filming as a rule, so we do, we do so, what kind of half-baked rehearsal we can do by ourselves to just make sure that we can, the, the words fit comfortably, that we can say them, that we understand the beats that we're prepared to hit those turning points in the in the scene as we mm. knowing where they are, knowing how to approach them. And I, I don't think younger actors tend to think that way. They perhaps have the right to do it in a more haphazard shooting from the hip way because that can sure. bring very good results as well. And stage actors tend to give a performance it's maybe more visible than the a very, very good instinctive film actor mm-hmm. who's brought up on film because they understand more deeply what the camera will see. If you are thinking, the camera sees that you are thinking. 100%. And that is a big distinction to be made, yeah. even scene to scene in, a, in one show, that you can see the difference yes. between yes. actors that have a certain kind of training, actors that have a certain kind of instinct, because you can't overlook instinct either. No, I don't know. Not at all. It's a blend of everything. Yeah, it's, but the, the work in this is so good. And I wonder just as a fan, because obviously there were compartmentalized um, storylines that when you sat back and watched it yourself, if there were things that you sort of delighted in that you weren't a part of. Oh, my God. There's so much. I mean, my really, Ellen Kincaid's role was not that large. In fact, two of my favorite scenes were cut just from the story point of view, which pissed me off and still pisses me off and probably will always piss me off. But the whole show, I mean, all the young people's stuff, I, I wasn't party to all of that. So it was all new to me. And I was swept along by it like everybody else. Yes. Well, I would like to point out that even that you have two cut scenes that you're pissed off about, you still got nominated for an Emmy Award. <laughs> I have the role to thank for that. Any actor who's honest will tell you that mm. a great role plays itself. You really just are along for the ride. Because if all the ingredients for a character are there and the purpose of the character and the, and the, and the tone that the piece requires of the character, you're just a, you're, you know, you're just a member of the wedding and it's, it's a great honor to have a part that's this wonderful. And so I'm curious because you have this remarkable body of work behind you where this sort of falls in the pantheon of your appraisal of the things that you love to be a part of. I I have to say I truly loved this part, and there have been plenty of parts I've had that man that was great or that was so funny or that was so uh, sharp. Or, but this part I really have enormous feeling for her. I wish I were more like her. 
her boundless positivity yes. without being a Pollyanna. She's very hard-nosed. She's very savvy. She knows what will fly and what won't. And she's very tough. Uh, she does what has to be done in terms of business. And she takes her chances. But she has goodwill. And she wants mm-hmm. a good outcome for everyone. When she sees something she's pleased by, she lets mm. the person know. She mm. communicates her goodwill. And I think we all love people like that. Absolutely. And your character and Patty's characters are the true driving forces in this project to change. When you're in the middle of it, you never, or I never really thought about it from that point of view, but I see it now that now that it's behind me and I'm watching it like any other audience member, I do see that. Uh, I think Patty's role is truly remarkable. Uh, really, really a stunning role where she takes the reins in a man's world and knows what she's, knows that she's taking the reins in a man's world and what that will mean. And she just meets that challenge very strongly. And actually, she's very like Patty in the sense that Patty will yes. say anything to anybody. She is not afraid to say, well, yeah, yeah well, I'm not going to do that. Or, yeah, well, you wish. You know, she's very, very direct. But I feel like we should all aspire to be like Patty LuPone. I've interviewed her for a few times now, and she's just on it. And she's so candid, and she's so funny, and she's so fast. She is so straightforward. Yes, I feel like she should give us lessons. Uh-oh, is the puppy puppy coming in? Yes, <laughs> puppy. Did you get it? Did she eat much of it? Oh, yeah. Did, did, did dog eat your homework? <laughs> Pretty much, because if she sees a piece of paper... If he sees a paper, he says, I'm going to take this. What's the dog's name? Winnie. Winnie. Is she named after anyone? Winnie the Pooh? Winnie Mandela? She is Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> what kind of dog is that? She sort of is a mix between a, a Jack Russell Terrier and a Dachshund, and a long-haired Chihuahua is the dominant. How long have you had her? Almost as long as lockdown. Sarah got her quite early in the lockdown. She's really Sarah's dog, and I get to share her. Oh, that's great. But to get back to the show and to you, one thing that I was excited to see, and I'm sure you were too, that there were several Emmy nominations uh, for the show and that Dylan was also nominated. But I I couldn't believe that Joe was not. See, this is what makes awards just ridiculous in the end, because A, you can't compare actors. You can't compare one performance and say, this performance is better than that performance. It just doesn't make any sense. It's not like running a race. It just isn't measurable in that way. So, I mean, it's wonderful that people get honored, but it doesn't feel great that it's a competition in that sense. Right. And when it's not the purpose of what you're doing, but I swear to you, I remember I am an award show person. I agree with you that you can creative endeavors are apples and oranges. You cannot compare them in that way, but I love an award show. I have to Mm -hmm. say, and I remember so well that night where you said, I've, I'm so glad I wrote something. I'm so sorry. I can't see it. Well, that's exactly, that's exactly the truth because there'd been a whole, as always happens on award shows, it's a very frenetic getting ready to go and getting in a car and having to go someplace and hair and makeup. And who, whoever was going to do my makeup never came. So it was just a snafu. So I had to do my own which I normally would do anyway, which took a certain period of time. And I was going to be copying down this speech I wrote on a piece of paper that I could carry up there. And so I never did that. So I thought, well, I'll do it in the car. And then when it was time to leave, I just grabbed a piece of stationery, blue stationery, because I thought better than white. And then and a pen. And so in the car, I copied out the speech that I'd written because my agent said, you have to write something 
Mm-hmm. Because you might, you could win. I thought it was highly unlikely. Nobody, I was never not predicted to win in any way, shape, or form. But I did copy out the speech, but it was on what was like this airmail stationery. I wasn't even thinking about it. When I got on stage, the light was so bright. And it was just translucent. There was no, I could absolutely not read it. So I literally unfolded that paper. As I said, I'm so glad I wrote something, which I sincerely meant, because I don't, at that moment, you just don't know what the hell to say. I opened that paper up, and I couldn't read it at all. So that was the literal truth. I'm so glad I wrote something. I'm so sorry I can't see it. But your delivery <laughs> is, is almost so perfect that for all these years I've wondered, was that a bit? No, it was absolutely not a bit, and nor was it overnight. I mean, I literally was walking to the stage thinking I wanted to say overnight, but then I thought, but what if they don't get it? Is that so obvious what I mean? But will they people, got it. Will people not have any idea what I'm saying? Because I was, you know, 56 or whatever I was at the time. And you got like a long applause break after you said it. People definitely got it. But I love that the first person all these years later looking at that clip again today, the first person they cut to was Dylan. And I was like, oh, what a lovely full circle moment again. Well, you know, I don't I'm sure Dylan was not that was not happy about that because I was nominated against the regulars on that show. Right. I was nominated in a regular category for supporting actress because I've been on that show quite a number of times. Mm -hmm. Too many times as a guest to be given a guest Mm -hmm. artist award. So, I mean, I'm sure nobody thought that I would win. But that was what was so exciting about it. Even you look surprised in your response. Well, well, I, I guess, I guess I, I was. I mean, I was up against Lara Flynn Boyle, who is one of my favorite people on planet Earth, and, and was brilliant on that show. And I think Cameron was also nominated again. Cameron Mannheim. Mm-hmm. And uh, Julia Margulies. and somebody else. I mean, Kim Delaney was, from Kim Delaney. NYPD. So I mean, it's like it was really these brilliant, brilliant people and. And as I say, I genuinely, of course, did not think I was possibly going to win. So I was I was really kind of staggered by that. I like to believe you won just so you could give that incredibly memorable speech. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Well, I'm sure Dylan thought that one of their team was going to win, and so he might have been disappointed. So cutting to him might have been high risk. <laughs> no, he looked very happy. But I mean, that's such a special thing. I mean, and you have experience with this of being that person in the in the five squares, like these Zoom squares now, yeah. of, and being the person who doesn't win and having to be like, like, is that actually hard or it's not that bad? Well, I mean, I've been in that position many times that I've been nominated probably seven times or so. This is my eighth, I guess. I never think that I'm going to win, so I'm perfectly ready to clap for whoever does. My question to you then is, on the night, when the night comes, however that night comes, which looks like it is to be a virtual night now. What the hell is that going to mean? Girl, I don't know. (laughs) It's going to be like this. (laughs) I mean, I just can't face it. And then, so then you have your laptop set up and you either turn it on or turn it off or whatever. You're going to have that same thing with the five squares and we're all going to be on our own laptops. You can just reach up and go, snap. (laughs) So is that the plan? If you don't win, yeah. you're just going to snap your laptop <laughs> That would be great. <laughs> that actually would be very dramatic if all yeah. of the other people yeah. did that. If everybody just reached up and went snap and the winner was left there like, oh, I won. Great. All right. I think you should plan with your fellow nominees to uh, coordinate this choreography 
and our, our time is up, but I'm so pleased to speak with you, truly. Well, I'm so happy to speak with you. You ask wonderful questions. If you have anything more, don't hesitate. Have you, see, have you seen the trailer for Ratchet? I have. I saw the first episode. Oh, my God. It's just electrifying. Yes. It's electrifying. And, it's- and I've never seen anything so stylish. You know, it's really a genre, and it's an extremely stylish piece that is all of a piece. It's right. extraordinary unity to it. And now you're all in the Ryan Murphy family together. That's right. That's right. I don't think we would do a show together, though, because I think that would be very distracting. I'm sure it would, but hopefully there's more shows in uh, both of your futures. I hope so. When we come back to whatever the next version of normal is. And I I thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Go forth and enjoy your day with you. Thank you so much, Sarah. I enjoyed it. And good luck at the Emmy Awards. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. tell you how much fun it was to talk to Holland Taylor about some of the great roles that she's had over the years and also two and a half men. <laughs> Burn. But she was great on that show. Like yes. you gotta give it up. She's I'm not sure I've ever seen her in anything that she wasn't excellent. No, in. she ele- she can even elevate two and a half men. Here's the thing, though. We can have a whole other conversation about Two and a Half Men later, but there were some things about Two and a Half Men I really enjoyed. (laughs) Yeah, spinoff podcast. Sarah defends Two and a Half Men. But not all of it, just some of it. Defending (laughs) one quarter of Two and a Half Men. In any case, it was a real treat to talk to her. And stay tuned, because in the coming weeks on The Awardist, we'll be talking to more nominees as we get closer to Emmy Night. If you enjoyed today's episode, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to join the conversation, tweet at us. I'm at Kristen G. Baldwin, and you can find Sarah at Sarah A. Rodman. The Awardist isn't just a podcast. You can also find us across EW platforms on EW.com, in the magazine, and on social media, too. So if you want to binge more of The Awardist, you know where to find it. Until then, we'll be on the couch. The Awardist is produced by EW in partnership with Pod People.